Welcome to episode 40 of Mansi, a podcast about magic and its influence on our culture. In each set of episodes, we cover a different Mansi or method of magic. I'm R.J. Walker. I'm a spoken word poet and writer. With me is my co-host, Elle. I'm Elle Alder, a professional psychic and solitary eclectic witch. So this is going to be one of those episodes where we're covering kind of like a few different Mansies. Like this is going to be a weird couple of uh, episodes. They're like tangentially connected, right? Okay. So we're diving back into necromancy and mediumship. But not, like, necromancy exclusively, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. As a refresher, necromancy is divination that involves receiving hidden or obscured information from the dead. Mediumship is chiefly necromancy. But there's more to it than that. Mediums wouldn't just speak to ghosts. They would command them. They would have them move objects, make sounds, activate electrical equipment. All of those things were done to communicate with them. However, they can also make them appear. <laughs> there are several words for this. Materialization, manifesting, and conjuration. For disambiguation purposes, let's define and separate out these synonyms. Materialization means making a spirit or a paranormal object just like appear or apparate. Uh, manifesting is when you will things to happen and then they happen. So it won't just be like trying to make a ghost appear. It's like, I want to manifest that I'll make $100 this week. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. And then conjuration is bringing forth supernatural beings that aren't necessarily spirits, such as demons and angels. And like bringing them into a physical form or? Yes. Or just like bringing them forth and calling upon them and to having exist them do in the space things. and having them. Okay. So it could be like an energetic presence, not necessarily just a physical one. Yeah. And okay. not necessarily like a ghost or spirit of somebody who is dead, but like a god or a demon or an angel or something whatever. like beyond the. Okay. Yeah. In any case, we're going back into the wacky world of Victorian era spiritualism. Uh, as well as like turn-of-the-century spiritualism, to see what things were being materialized by mediums. Most notably, the phenomenon of ectoplasm, the paranormal substance that oozes out of psychics whenever they contact the dead. You might recognize it from the 2009 horror film A Haunting in Connecticut. Uh, Victorian-era mediums would often materialize ectoplasm, having it ooze out of their noses, mouths, and ears. Especially when they manifest a spirit. L, have you ever oozed out some ectoplasm? No. You ever just goobered out some ghost goo? No. No. I feel like maybe people would, like believe that I was a psychic more like I would have to prove myself less but then also like the Mary Kay lady that was like oh you're a professional psychic that's scary maybe she they'd be more scared yeah although I feel like I would just use it to scare people yeah you'd be like have some ectoplasm yeah where does ectoplasm come from um like what where what part of your body would it would it come out of any orifice or even just your skin. It would like you'd like sweat it out. Gross. Uh, yeah, I have um some you know what? I'll save that thought for later. <laughs> okay. <Okey-doke. laughs> 
so we're going to talk about materialization, just in general, focusing on ectoplasm. Uh, first, we'll discuss the spirits materialized by Victorian era mediums and beyond. Then we'll discuss more recent forms of materialization, namely tulpas and tulpamancy. That'll be in uh, part two. Now, a tulpa isn't a ghost. It's a materialized thought form. Essentially, an imaginary friend made real through willpower. It's a little reductive, but we're summarizing. Uh, Tulpas originate in Tibetan Buddhism, but have since become the subject of specific internet communities. These tulpa (laughs) enthusiasts are called tulpamancers, and they are dedicated to the materialization and creation of their imaginary friends. We'll go into the history of that and how this ancient spiritual belief entered the weird corners of the internet (laughs) and became kind of a phenomenon that still goes on today and how that phenomenon has changed from when it first started on like deep 4chan and now is its own community. Uh, So let's begin our episode on materialization, giving physical form to spiritual energy. So, what is ectoplasm? It's gross, mostly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In pop culture, ectoplasm is a kind of gooey substance that ghosts leave behind. In Danny Phantom, because of course we're looking at Danny Phantom here, all ghosts are made up of ectoplasm. It gives them their form, their structure, their powers, and Danny, being half ghost, is a human with ectoplasm in his body. Okay. That's where his ghost powers come from. Going ghost. Uh, surprisingly. <laughs> Danny Phantom was hot. So hot. Is, was that was Danny Phantom your sexual awakening? Um, no. I watched that maybe when I was like a bit past that. Probably when I was like 15. I, I feel like it's but people's, he's hot. I feel like it's people's bisexual awakening, honestly. Like Danny Phantom specifically is like, oh, they're hot. But also they're hot. Yeah, but their wait. entire <laughs> cast is pretty hot. That's oh, true. Oh, man. That, that like emo guitarist ghost yeah 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 it just that, I, that it, was all i needed it, it yeah. ruined me um <laughs> it ruined me uh anyway uh so danny has ectoplasm in his body and surprisingly this is how it was believed ectoplasm works so butch hartman for all of his deal <laughs> uh actually like did his research on ectoplasm, I guess. Uh, in Victorian times, people were attempting to explain psychic and paranormal phenomena like table turning and telekinesis during seances. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Victorian era was kind of this like death of God, death of the divine era where everything had to be rational. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like right now I'm reading Hard Times by Charles Dickens and everybody is talking about facts. We should only learn facts. Facts are the most important thing. Everything has to be efficient and rational, and it has to make sense, and it has to work together, everything like a machine. Everything has an explanation, and we just need to figure out what that explanation is. Um, 
basically there is no chaos. <laughs> everything works for a reason, but since there is no God, then we have to rationalize everything, mm-hmm. uh, which is a problem uh, yeah. <laughs> because you, what you, what you end up doing, a lot of this was pushed by like laissez-faire capitalism yeah. and capitalists taking over and being like, this is your purpose to work in a hat factory until you bleed from your eyes. Yeah, um, like if we're if, you know, if we don't have a purpose, that's fine. We can give you one. <laughs> yeah, so they were trying to explain the unexplainable, but like with science, and so they were just making up pseudoscience, <laughs> essentially. Uh, yeah. They'd be like, "This is the rational explanation," because uh, it's not, uh, you know, that ghosts don't exist. It's that there's a rational explanation for them, and we're gonna f- do ghost science. And this is where paranormal studies really like started. Yeah, those with these people trying to rationalize um, and like solve the cognitive dissonance between faith and rationality. So, uh, was it just? Hmm. Okay. I have a question with that. That may or may not be answerable or something that you want to answer at this moment. But then uh, could we just assume that there was a general understanding of the existence of ghosts in the Victorian era? Then that led them to say, well, what is the rational reason behind this? And some rationalities were this is not real. And some were... Uh, paranormal spooky shit yeah some rationalities were like this is not real. like if you listen to like what ebenezer scrooge says in um a christmas carol he's like oh i just ate a bad bit of beef because ghosts right. aren't real and that's the rational explanation um so a lot of people were like that and others were like no ghosts are cutting edge science and we're going to they discover what we makes them work to... okay right okay so uh count agnor de gasparin made a hypothesis. I love that name. I know. (laughs) Count Agenor de Gasparin. And it was usually fucking rich people. Yeah, like people that were just like coming out of feudalism and into capitalism with a Mm. lot of money. Uh, that were like, what do I do with all my fucking time? I know. Think about ghosts. Um anyway, this count made a hypothesis that there was a kind of energy called actenic force. Ghost energy that psychics could tap into and manipulate. He performed several experiments and claimed success, but none of his experiments were ever replicated or verified. So, <laughs> okay. There's that. Yeah. Uh, another theory was the existence of the psychode, a fluid substance that psychics would excrete like sweat, and this substance <laughs> could control matter. <laughs> I'm just thinking about, you know, me going back in time and being like, oh, yeah, I'm a psychic. And um, up until I got the office, yeah. I just sit in my room and I excrete uh, yeah. ectoplasm and, into my and, chair. And Count Ag- Anginor is like, <laughs> hey, you sweat into this vial really quick. <laughs> like my business license, right? They're like, we know where all the psychic businesses are. They just show up and wait outside the rooms. Um Ugh. Uh, Camille Flammarion. Okay. They have the greatest names. Camille Flammarion and William Crooks were notable scientists of the time who subscribed to this theory. Of course, they were just hypotheses that they couldn't prove. They were just like, maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. And then people were like, maybe. Are you saying maybe? Must be a fact. Yeah. Uh, Because we have to have facts all the time in the Victorian era. It has to be rationalized. I guess I didn't. Um, understand how much that philosophy really 
kind of rang out. Like that's never really been discussed in a class I've taken before. So that's interesting. Yeah. And to hear. And also like we're in this era again, right? Where it's like a giant Dunning Kruger. Yeah. Effect. That's kind of interesting how that's reflected now that we kind of had, okay, rationality, no. And then America, right? Well, a lot of countries, but America was like faith, faith, faith for so long. And we're just hitting a point now where we're like, but this can't be fucking real. Like this can't be real. Yeah. And like cheap printing gave people access to books in literacy in a way that they did not have before. So days without L bumping the microphone. Uh, I didn't technically bump the microphone. I dropped my headphone wire. And it bumped the microphone. Near it. (laughs) Anyway, uh, people had access to printed media and information in a way that they did not have ever before. So they also had an information (laughs) boom at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Uh, Just like we have had a massive information boom. So so they're like, oh, yes, I read it in this book that I bought for cheap or that I found in a dumpster. And that must be the truth because it was in this book and everything in books is true. Well, and the other thing that was happening. So um, we've talked about this because I love Charles Dickens. I just, I think he's great. But um, what's really interesting about him in specific is that his books Well, they're now books, but were released serially like a TV show. Yeah. Instead of a movie. And that's why his books are huge and intimidating. They really weren't. No, yeah, because he released them in like three to six pages at a time. And then he would do that and he got paid per the word. And so that's why they're so wordy because he got paid by word. But what they would do is enough of the people who worked in the the industrial plants would combine their money and buy one of the cereals and have someone read them the cereal. And so if you think about the potential for disinformation and for not completely conveying everything, because people, not everyone can read. This is a time when literacy was not necessarily the most prevalent thing in society as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it was just, like, starting. Yeah, Like, mass right. literacy was Where just, like, Where people were like, this is a thing we should do, yeah. And also, like, education became a huge thing because, more specifically, a educated workforce is yeah. more efficient. Yeah. Uh, but they would only really educate them educate them in the things that they needed to have them work To better. work in a factory, And one yeah. of the, the, the reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, that's why those are staples of education everywhere. Yeah. Because they make you a better worker. Yeah. Anyway, uh, their theory of the psychode fluid um, not been proven. In fact, repeatedly disproven. Um, <laughs> but who knows? L, do you excrete ectoplasm from your psychode? Like the psychode could be like an organ that like pumps this fluid. You know, I'm trying so hard to not be naughty, but I want to be like, well, not when I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this theory got around, and soon mediums were including ectoplasm in their shows. Often, they would create a viscous substance from their mouths or even their ears. So, like, instead of uh, the theory coming second after studying the phenomenon, they posed the theory, and then then the phenomenon phenomenon occurred. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of cool if you could figure out a way to do that. Yeah. You know? Uh, Whenever they performed seances or conjured powerful spirits or materialized anything, you would be sure to see ectoplasm coming out of a medium's mouth. It was noted as being foul-smelling, slimy, and would come out in 
Yeah, it's gross. It's gross. Sorry. Oh no! Is it going to happen again? Yeah, maybe. We don't have a trash can in our office yet, so I'll I'll deal with it. Um, I'll use your water (laughs) bottle. Oh no! 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 (laughs) You can just run to the bathroom. Okay, there's a bathroom. Yeah. Anyway, it would come out in strands from their mouth, Mm -hmm. and or would like bloom out of their ears or like their scalp or their hair uh, while they were like doing their medium thing and, and what, what would it um would it make specific things or is it just the substance uh so the substance would come out and sometimes it would like float and then like wrap around like a sheet and then the sh- a form would appear under the sheet uh okay. sometimes it would like fall on the ground and then a form would appear and like grow out of the ground so was the thought that they were actively like Ghosts, like it was ghosts, mm-hmm. like, like the substance of like ghosts? the substance was energy that they were using to like give the ghosts form. Okay, yes, I understand that. And then Not sometimes they even have an assistant that would like attach it to like a ghost, so that the ghost could like have like a constant mm-hmm. stream of energy from the psychic to oh, exist. Okay, like a little tail. I'm down with that. Yeah. Like an umbilical cord from the psychic's with mouth. The s- uh, so I'm assuming that there are no messages being passed during that time. Like the psychic was not delivering readings. No, no the ghost was. Ah, so it was coming from the ghost. Mm-hmm. So the ghost would deliver would the talk? messages. Yeah, the ghost would often talk. Sounds fake, but okay. <laughs> I'm just going to say it because we're all thinking it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it would just like fucking ooze out of them and then like manifest a ghost okay uh the society of physical research was formed in 1882 and was dedicated to studying paranormal phenomena using scientific and scholarly methods these were the victorians who were like there's a rational explanation we just haven't discovered it yet Mm -hmm. um and they still exist today like they they're still around Uh, But mostly they, like, review books and claims made by psychics on their website. That's, like, their main thing I found on their website. Anyway, one of their first big investigations was research into ectoplasm. Mm -hmm. What they discovered was groundbreaking. (gasps) The ectoplasm that these psychics were emitting was all different. Sometimes it was brittle and it would just dissolve and fall apart. Sometimes it would harden and develop crusty crystals. It even seemed to vary from session to session. Like the ectoplasm was different for the same psychic in different sessions. Weird. Okay. Yeah. And then they all learned the truth. These mediums were using potato starch and different (laughs) kinds of cloth and paper to make their ectoplasm. Ah, for their ears, they would compress it into, like, a water-soluble paper capsule. So, like, uh, one ply of toilet paper, essentially. <laughs> it would be, like, packed inside one ply of toilet paper. Uh, and then it would bloom out of their ears as their ears started to sweat and dissolve this toilet paper. So it would release the compression, and then it would bloom out of their ears. I just want to kind of try this and see if it works. They put a lot of work into yeah, this making, would be this, so making hard. this happen. Yeah, and, you know, they would hide it in their scalp, and then their Honestly, scalp sweat would cause it. Say what you want about psychics from this era, but they were not lazy. 
No, they weren't lazy. They were not that's lazy. for sure. They, they they worked very hard on these. Like grifts. that other couple that would do the um that had their language, the coded. Oh yeah, the the who was it? Oh, I forget. Um, what were, episode was that in? That was our crystal ball episode. Oh yeah, where, yeah. Where they invented their own like extremely strong coded, coded language yeah. that nobody was able to crack, and they had to like practice it every single day. Yeah, yeah. As at, at the end of the day, this is where kind of like magician, like stage magicianry, and like mediums were kind of around the same thing, mm-hmm. where there was this like thing where it was like this is real magic, this is real ghost stuff, but the people doing it knew that they were kind of frauds. Would, so there wasn't really a separation, right? You go to a magic show and you're like, okay, it's magic. I'm, I'm yeah, under the social contract that for this moment magic is real and then once i leave i know that it's all a trick right yeah no that it was all slight suspend of your disbelief right but these were mediums were like nope this is all real 100 percent. then you go home and you're like ghosts are real and i saw one well and i would say that um we see that influence even now with like mm-hmm. expectations of clients of like people get pretty i would say underwhelmed when they meet me and they're like oh you're just a person I'm like yep just a person is a psychic so it's kind of yeah you see that a lot and interesting the crossover there yeah uh, most disgustingly though <laughs> they would swallow lengths of cloth and regurgitate them sometimes even but <laughs> Pulling them out of their stomachs with string. They would have a little string. Stop talking. Like a fishing line. And then somebody off stage, that's why it would float, would like pull it out of them. That would be so uncomfortable. Well, that's what the potato starch was for. Because it made it smooth. So it would just kind of like slide out. But because the contents of your stomach are different. Why don't we take a break? Nope. Nope. Committed. Hit the pause. No, because I don't want to see you throw up again. I will be fine. I don't want to see it. I will be fine. No, I don't want it. (laughs) Because the contents of your stomach are different depending on what you ate and like how much acid is built up. Then the uh, ectoplasm is going to be different. That's why sometimes it would be brittle and dissolve and sometimes it would like harden and get crusty. Ew. Yeah, super <laughs> fucking gross. Uh, some even noted that uh, words or images could be made out in the slimy pile of ectoplasm that they regurgitated. Gross. Because it was newspaper and magazine clippings, like paper mache, but with, like, gut juice and bile. Mm-hmm. Now, there's lots of mediums who produced ectoplasm, and pretty much all of them were found out to be frauds. Uh, at least all the ones I found in my research had been found out to be frauds. Those yeah. were also the ones that were. I guess if you got away with it, then they probably the, weren't writing about you. Yeah. So I probably don't have the information. But I want to take a look at a couple of notable ectoplasm. I guess they're materialization mediums. Okay. Uh, the One of them is Helen Duncan. And she's notable because she was the last person to ever be convicted of witchcraft. Yes. And Wait. No, this is a different one than the one in Australia, right? This is not Rose. Yeah. So this is... Norton. Yeah. uh, Rosaline Norton was not convicted of witchcraft because the witchcraft laws were defunct, essentially. Oh, okay. Uh, But Helen Duncan was the last person to be tried under the Witchcraft Act of 1735, which Australia had... Because they were a colony, basically, mm-hmm. at the yeah. time. 
Um, but because they were no longer a colony, that Witchcraft Act couldn't really be enforced, right? They well, were and I think they, like, used that as evidence in her, like, trial and stuff. Yeah, they tried. Yeah. They tried, but it wouldn't work. However, Helen Duncan was actually convicted of witchcraft. Wow. Okay. In, in the UK. And she was the last person ever to be convicted. But before we go into Helen Duncan, I want to talk about another materialization medium. And she is just fucking insane. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Just> fucking crazy. <laughs> and it worked so well for her. Um, okay. We're going to talk about Ava Carrieri. 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 Uh, while Helen's story is fascinating, uh, mostly because of the like social implications, Ava was just fucking nuts, uh, just like <laughs> as a person. Uh, Ava Carrieri was born in France in 1886, and she had a fairly normal life. For a time, she got engaged to a man named Maurice, but soon after the engagement, he died of a tropical disease that he had picked up in the Congo. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he died like just before the marriage could take place in 1904. Oh, no. And she said this event is what triggered her psychic powers. Yeah. By 1905, so like literally a year after he died, she was like, oh, you know what? Ghosts. I'm fucking psychic. Going ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do think people always are like, oh, how do you be a professional psychic? And I'm like, oh, just go through something like terribly, horrifically traumatic. And you come out the other side and you're like, nothing can ever be the same again. And I think you do go ghost, part of you. A part of your soul dies and then you become a psychic. So uh, 1905, she starts holding seances a year after his death. And one of the more shocking parts of her show was the materialization of a spirit named Bian Boa, a 300-year-old Brahmin Hindu. Can you spell his name? Uh, B-E-I-N-B-O-A. Bian Boa. Okay. Bian Boa. But, like, never fucking mind uh, the fact that reincarnation is a core part of Hindu belief, and they probably wouldn't materialize they, as a spirit. Yeah. Uh, and if they did, they'd probably be really pissed off and confused. Because they're supposed to, yeah. Because <laughs> they're like, why am I now reincarnated? Why am yeah. I a ghost? You know, like, I'm busy trying to get reincarnated what here. What is, um, do you know off the top of your head the Hindu amount of time that needs to happen for a reincarnation? To so, it depends. There's lots of different schools of hindu belief okay but pretty much you die and then there's like a karmic wheel that goes around yeah. and then that determines like i'm being super reductive there's like a whole religion you can study but yeah yeah pretty much it's it's pretty quick even if you get reincarnated as like a bug right so yeah so sometimes um in certain beliefs it's like a 40 day period of time that like there are certain witchcraft traditions where you don't have the funeral for 40 days cuz 40 days is when they can reincarnate and so i just was wondering if there's like a hard and fast rule about that i'm sure there is but there's lots of different um schools of hinduism that are yeah. going to have different ideas okay um, cuz it's like it's a huge religion yeah um, different sects maybe <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah uh so but in any case even if there was like a waiting period i'm sure he'd be pissed he'd be like what the fuck like what if they call my number like <laughs> <laughs> well yeah okay yeah so probably uh don't uh you know resurrect people who are trying to get reincarnated anyway uh <laughs> i was going to say i mean if people are curious about that it's fine because time is not real and souls are infinite. And so you can exist in as many different places as you can. And 
I'm not going to go there because I don't really want to put all of us in like an existential crisis today, but it's fine. Don't worry. Yeah. If, if you're talking to someone, you're not preventing like a dead person. You're not preventing them from reincarnating. But I, I am sure that if a Hindu person in the I audience. Don't do would, that. Would yeah. Like, yeah. Would, like don't do that to someone like, who goes against their beliefs. Yeah. For like, sure. Like when the Mormons were like um, baptizing dead the, Holocaust yeah, like, victims. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like don't do that. I, why would you? Why would that? Because you got to save them. Uh, anyway. Yeah, bad. <laughs> Post-humus colonization, bad. Bad, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so Bian Boa would, like, manifest with, like, a scarf around his neck that would be connected to the, like, ectoplasm string and a turban. And he would just silently stand in the back of the candlelit stage as he materialized, just, like, staring at the audience with his dead, ghostly eyes connected to Ava by a trail of ectoplasm. Jesus. And photos were taken. Do you have photos? Yeah. (gasps) Photos were taken. Oh, my God. Do you know what I realized last night? I did not post the photo dump for the last episode. (laughs) What the hell? I couldn't get it off of the... the the Google Drive because we have everything in Google Drive and I couldn't get the photos off. So yeah, the photo dump will hopefully be up by the time this episode comes out, and I'm going to get the other photo dump. <laughs> it's fine. So photos were taken in another show, um, like the photos of B and Boa uh, are hard to find, um, but she uh, mediumized this like fucking archduke or something okay from prussia anyway here's a photo doesn't he look oh no he's creepy oh my god yeah okay so the picture that i'm looking at is so she's like um wearing all black just completely in black. She's pretty pretty. I mean, she's pretty. She's also behind a curtain. <clears throat> oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, she, she she's has like, like a, a peeking cabinet out. that's like a curtain that she would like do this for, like a psychomantium chamber, basically. Okay. Um, I do not see the ectoplasm necessarily coming out of her mouth, but behind it, her almost looks like a blown up photograph of a man here's a another one where she's peeking out even further and this photo is censored because she's naked because she's naked okay doesn't it look exactly like a fucking cardboard cutout yeah it looks like it looks like a photograph it looks like if you took a picture of someone and then you blew it up really big yeah that's what so it is that that is dude what it is. i just want to know her She looks like someone that I'd want to know. So somebody came and they like took photos of B and Boa and like the flash from the photos. I mean, while it's just a brief moment, like made the photo of him pretty clear that it was a fucking cardboard cutout. Yeah. Um, And like when you're sitting in like a candlelit room and you're prepared. It's dark. Yeah. To see something spooky. You're prepared to see a ghost. I would freak out. Yeah. And you just see this thing kind of like crawl up out of the floor like like you pull it up like you know like a little trail is like dragged from the chamber she's in and then like this thing crawls up out of the floor like that would that would be scary but with the photo it's like no they just drew on a (laughs) cardboard cutout yeah it does not look and it's not there's not like ectoplasm coming yeah i'll have to post pictures of this i'll definitely post pictures Uh, even as the publications were calling her show a hoax after these pictures were released there were people who were just quite outspoken that she was real and they saw b and boa breathing moving twitching and even moving around the audience and touching people i okay <laughs> I mean. <laughs> in this way the hoax press 
was turned around, like reversal. Uh, you know, <laughs> it developed interest in her shows and made people want to go and see for themselves because they were like, yeah, the papers say this is fake, but all these people are saying that it's real. And how, I gotta know for how can it be a cardboard cutout if like Jebediah said it came out and like touched his shoulder, you know? Yeah. So they were like, I have to go see this for myself. And her shows were packed. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they went... They saw that it wasn't a cardboard cutout. She was materializing a – like the B and Boa was materializing in full three dimensions. What? And would indeed walk around the room uh, and like touch people and like sometimes even like hum or like twitch and like – Ew, really I don't spooky. like it. I would right? be so scared. And he just had this like ectoplasm tail that was coming out from her little chamber, her little like curtain <laughs> psychomantium chamber. Uh, Gee, I wonder if they were hiding someone in there. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was later revealed that uh, an Arab coachman from her <laughs> estate was hired to play the part. <laughs> and he would appear from a trap door on stage. Like, he would just, like, crawl into the stage and then be like, Ooh, I'm being I'm creepy. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By then... Ava was really written off as a hoax. Yeah. But that didn't fucking stop her. No. No, because her shows were still super Listen, popular. Listen, yeah, she has, she's making money. Like, you see, uh, Ava had something going for her that other mediums didn't. She was entirely batshit. Um, <laughs> yeah, she looks pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, her eccentricity made her shows wildly entertaining for people and also extremely scandalous, making word of her shows spread even well, further. Yeah, they have a picture of her topless yeah, in Victorian they, they England. Had to like uh, Victorian France. I oh, believe. France. Sorry. Uh, they literally had to erase her nipples from yeah, the photo. Yeah, like right? <sighs> so, uh, and this was like. Turn of the century. Right? Yeah. Not quite Victorian, but turn of the century. Yeah, so still scandalous. Yeah. Uh, the hoax resulted in Ava just, like, leaning in uh, because that's what, what yeah. successful mediums do is they, like, lean that's in. That's what entertainers do. Yeah. Entertainers see the opportunity and they say, fuck it, let's make some money. You she know? would strip completely naked on stage to show that she had nothing up her sleeve <laughs> and would sprint in the nude around the audience so that they could all have a 360 They could just get view. a good old look that so there's yeah. nothing like, up her sleeve. Nothing up my sleeve. Nothing my coochie. Um, you wouldn't believe where the ectoplasm comes from. What was yeah. the other word? The ectoplasm comes out of your what? The, the psychode. The psychode. Well, <laughs> that's a word for it. Uh, she had a bit where ectoplasm would burst out of her ear and scalp and manifest as a face. Creepy. Uh, which is like. Very is that the creepy. picture you showed me? Uh, yes. So this is this is another one where um, it manifested out of her. Uh, this is it manifesting out of her ear. Um. Yeah, this is like a, it looks like a photograph. <laughs> yeah. Like a wrinkly photograph. Yeah, it's like coming out of her ear and like she's wearing like a bonnet and it's like pulling the bonnet off and it's like wearing the bonnet. Yeah. Um, But like, yeah. So she would be doing the show. Everything's candlelit. Everything's dim. You're all expecting to see a ghost. And then like out of her, her ear scalp just blooms like a flower, this like pair of eyes looking back at the audience. And then somebody took pictures again. 
Uh, and the flash from the camera made it pretty clear yeah. what it actually was. These uh, were faces cut out of magazines and yeah. newspapers. And they would roll them up and pack them into, like, toilet paper between the ply. Uh, and eventually the sweat from her scalper ear- ears would dissolve the tissue paper. And when she felt that happening, because it was, like, touching her, she'd be like, oh, a ghost is coming through. It's me. It's coming out of my me. Oh, my God, it's a ghost. <laughs> We should do these shows. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goobly good. You can do gross. this. Yeah, you would be much better at like the this part of it. And I can do the real readings. Yeah. Um and it was like, uh, ectoplasm is coming out of her, right? Uh, of course, the rumors of hoaxes attracted more debunkers to her. So her audiences were full of debunkers. And, and hor- she gave and horny zero yeah. fucks, yeah. And she would make that part of the show. <laughs> Like, and it would get really gross. Um, so her shows were often described as pornographic. Mm-hmm. She would get naked and then invite these debunkers on stage to investigate her various Ooh. orifices to make sure no ectoplasm was packed in. No joke. People did like stick fingers I'm inside her sure. vagina yeah. uh, to check for ectoplasm. Uh, Jesus. Like, and then... She would also, like, position herself, like, on a chair with stirrups to demand a full-blown gynecological exam. (gasps) Yeah. Uh, She would accidentally leave her psychomantium cabinet with ectoplasm hanging from her nipples. Uh, Or the ectoplasm (laughs) would form in the shape of a penis. Uh, and it became clear that Ava was purposefully eroticizing her shows and using mediumship as a front for a peep show. I was going to say, this just sounds like she's like an exhibitionist and that's what she's into. And yeah. I mean, she, so she sounds... might, like, whether she's an exhibitionist or not, she might also be into, you know, making money. Um, yeah, like sex work. Just yeah. and probably it was like highly, I mean, a lot of people went and I'm sure the more... I don't know. Uh, yeah, extreme like, it got, the more audience. Like there was, you, you know, know, things like burlesque and stuff at the time. But in this way, like... you could be like, "I'm going to the ghost show to do a scientific investigation." Definitely not to like see the naked vagina medium. Yeah, I just have a lot of thoughts about that. Like from a standpoint of like. Was it ethical of the audience to participate in that if she was mentally unwell? Was it something that she was okay with? Would that be considered prostitution at all? Would it not be? Um, I actually am, like, unoffended by the medium aspect of it because it's your bag. It is these gray areas which she existed in and exploited. Like, that's the thing is, like, I can't tell if it feels weird because I'm worried for her safety or if because I'm not sure if these people were aware that that's what they were going to get and they got subjected to it or if, like, it's all fine because everyone's an adult and can choose if they want to go. Science. It's for science. But it's, it's rationality. Not, it's not, so, though. Yeah, it's not, though. It's not, right? though. It's not, though. But the way, like, pornography worked in, like, Victorian and turn-of-the-century times, uh, a lot of it was hidden into, one, morality tales, and two, scientific journals. Literally, scientific journals about sex were porn. Like, they purposefully called them scientific journals about sex so that they can get away with distributing pornography. Uh, so this was just a conclusion of that. Like, it was just part of that. 
where it was like, this is definitely like an erotic show. So we just need to, yeah. So it just was an erotic show. But we're going to say it's a scientific Would show. She, so do you think that, I mean, with you saying that there was like some mental illness part of that, I, I, well, do you think that she was mentally well enough to be doing it? I honestly don't know if, if, she, was if she was genuinely truly mentally ill or she mentally knew. unwell. She okay. was just extremely eccentric and well, neurotic. Well, and if we talk about... Um, well, I don't know if, like... It's it's hard to say. I mean, I guess I would have to say that, like, if this is... Because I was going to say, I don't think that there's anything wrong with being an entertainer and seeking attention from where you're getting entertainment from. That's what entertainers do. That's how you make money. But, like, I don't know if at that point... Um, I don't know. Like, are we crossed over the point... We're like, obviously, this is mentally unwell, but I don't think that sex workers are mentally unwell. No. I don't think that people who do erotic work are unwell at all. And so it's like a weird, like, the historical lenses that people put on women who didn't do what they wanted them to do is really gross. And that really informs, like, how we can talk about this. So I'm having weird feelings about it, but I'm having weird feelings about it, like, through 10 different lenses of, like, Puritanical yeah, there's, thinking. there's fucking layers to this shit. <laughs> yeah, there is. Right? So, like, it's not cut and dry that, like, this woman was a medium who then started doing erotic work. I don't think that's the thing. My opinion in is that, like, in Industrial Revolution, like, uh, post-Victorian era, like, turn of the century, I think that she entirely intended and wanted to do sex work, but mm-hmm. was barred from that because of social demands on women acting and being a certain way. Uh, but by being a medium, by being somebody gifted, she had a sort of vehicle to do you sex have, work from. Well, and that's – you see that now as a problem with certain practices that are done. Like in Salt Lake City and in Utah, there are – um, regulations surrounding Reiki practices because people were using Reiki as a cover for sex work. And Reiki is just an energy work that you don't you don't have to lay hands on anyone, but a lot of massage therapists will be trained in Reiki and use Reiki along with massage therapy tactics. And so people would say that they were offering Reiki sessions when they were doing sex work. So there's regulations now, including some cities in the state of Utah that have Reiki outlawed as a business practice. And so you still see that because it's this kind of undefined like rather mediumship and psychic work is an undefined thing that people do mm-hmm. right and so there's not yeah, a lot there, of there's no regulations there isn't around it. there isn't really a hogwarts for this shit like you can't get a degree in it right i want to make the, the school that does this like it's my goal professionally <laughs> no seriously it's my goal professionally to change this because i think it's a problem but i don't know how one does that so yeah, yeah. uh Especially because it's so, like, eclectic. Yeah, Um, and there's so many, like, various ways that you can be a psychic. There's no right way to do it. Anyway, this is really interesting. I think that maybe saying that she wasn't, well, I think, kind of discredits her ability to make choices and do what she needed to do and what she wanted to do in a time when she would not have been allowed to do so otherwise. mm -hmm. So Uh, that's my opinion. Anthropologist Eric Dingwall. 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 Uh, (laughs) Tested Ava in 1920 and found no evidence of psychic phenomena. He found that she was swallowing uh, and packing in chewed paper and cloth in her cabinet to produce the ectoplasm. In addition, he discovered that the faces were clippings out of newspapers and magazines that it had been drawn on. Like she would like add like a beard and like a mustache. Uh, <laughs> so people couldn't recognize So people couldn't recognize the famous people from magazines. Okay. Uh, still, her shows were super popular. Mostly because 
they were graphic. Sexy time. They, well, not only were they sexy, but she made them super entertaining. She was so like out there and eccentric and crazy and had so yeah. much energy that people were like, oh yeah, I'll go see the the sexy it's gyna- just- gynecological medium <laughs> show. I don't know if I would be into that, but I might be into that. You know what I mean? Like, that's something that it would have to come down to like 15 minutes before. And I'm like, we're going to fucking go or we're not going. But it's something that I can understand the draw and also a good entertainer. It's hard to stay away from good entertainers when they're charismatic and crazy. And you're like, they'll just do the things that other people won't. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, Jack Black and, you know. Yeah. You know, we watched School of Rock yesterday. Oh, so good. And half of High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. Also very good. Um. And now, let's talk about the other uh, materialization medium uh, I wanted to talk about, Helen Duncan. On the surface, her ectoplasm game wasn't especially remarkable. Nothing like what Ava was doing that was just, like, so (laughs) over the top. Yeah. Uh, So, Helen was born in Scotland uh, in 1897. Throughout her school life, she would alarm classmates with dire prophecies and... Uh, they said specifically in quotes, their words, not mine, hysterical behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, hysterical is another word that they would use to be like, oh, you're upset, you're hysterical. So it was another word that people used yeah. in the time to this like, is, dismiss women. Yeah, this is the craziness that only women experience just from being women. Anyway, yep. uh, sometimes the prophecies would come true, sometimes not. But she would have full-blown panic attacks at times. And I'm guessing she just had a severe anxiety disorder and used hypervigilance as a coping mechanism. Regardless, it uh, concerned her mother and teachers. Yeah. And, like, uh, easy to predict the future when you're constantly looking for what's going to happen next because you're terrified of the future. Um, Um, So, chicken or the egg? Because that's also me. And I think that being a psychic is synonymous with having anxiety. It is the same thing. Yeah, I mean, the future anxiety is defined as like a fear of the future. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, then you know, World War One, that little thing, that old, that old, that old party. You know, uh, she got a job in the infirmary and married a wounded veteran. They had six kids, and Helen worked part time in a bleach factory. Her husband Henry was supportive of her paranormal talents, and soon she transitioned from being just a clairvoyant into a full-blown medium holding séance shows. By 1926, her house was a séance destination where people could come and communicate with the recently deceased, which, like, real fucking market for that after and during World War One, because mm-hmm. th- there's this like. General theory that um, after World War One, everybody became obsessed with death and the macabre, uh, and then after World War Two, it got even worse. Why do you they think sur- that more than other times? I think that humans have been obsessed with death and what comes next more than anything forever. So I think that because specifically of the nature of those wars. Oh, because there was machine guns and bombs yeah. and there was so, warfare unlike ever before. Yeah, literally yeah. like people saw their friends' skin melt off from fucking mustard gas. Yeah, Or they'd be in I the forgot. trenches and it wouldn't be bullets that killed them. It would be, you know, fucking gangrene and trench foot and people would be screaming and dying everywhere around them. And then you'd go to these sites and just see bodies fucking everywhere. Yeah, and there's something to be said for like people had never I mean yes we've experienced war but there was not ever the amount of like mass death for from so many countries from all over in the world so many in different horrific ways a, yeah and that yeah 
You're right. That is absolutely something I forgot about. I'm like, no, we've been at war forever, but we haven't always had atom bombs and machine guns. And yeah. yeah, it it was, you know, like sitting in the trenches, just like waiting to get your head capped every time well, you poked and your you head Well, you have up. literally people, yeah, you're, you're you're sitting in a trench yeah, with people dead next you're to you. are fucking like using bodies. To, we, yeah. we saw this after Civil War America, but uh, in Europe, this happened in, you know, World War One, and uh, literally... Generals would come with sticks and push the rifles down slightly of each soldier because, so, yeah. because they were purposefully missing. They didn't, they want, didn't, to kill didn't want to kill anybody, but they were being basically forced to by these generals who were like, kill them. Kill him. Yeah, kill him, tilting kill him. the guns down. To so aim obviously, for their heads. this sort of like obsession with death, like combined with like the guilt, the survivor's guilt, the horror, the trauma, like all of that. Well, and I think that's a thing that COVID has kind of given us too, where we're seeing a resurgence of that and mm. that kind of, yes, for sure, for sure spirituality and everything was like really <clears throat> big before COVID. But I think we're experiencing a bigger boom of that, like with everyone being like, we're all going to do a mass. Um, what is that? A mass fast. Do you remember that right at the beginning of COVID? Everyone's like, we're yeah. going to end it with a mass Go fast. Fucking please. Yeah. I was like, okay, let me know if that, how that works. But um, not that like fasting and that kind of stuff isn't Wait, could important. You, could you like fast from toilet paper for a minute so I can get some? Um. Yeah. Can we just like, can we give that a try? <laughs> um, but that's something that I think that we're seeing and we will see for the next little bit, just like with the riots in America, with COVID all over the world, it's going to be a weird period of time of people being obsessed yeah. with those that didn't make it. And uh, like, I don't know, like freezer morgue trucks in Texas uh, is an image uh, that I will do not you, forget Well, do you remember soon. the cardboard caskets in, was it Brazil? Do you remember that? that oh, they yeah. just had people in beds that were, that turned into cardboard caskets because just they could slump, slump, slump. Yeah, well, they couldn't, they didn't even have hospital beds to put them in and they were going to die anyway. Like, it's just fucking horrifying. So anyway, people are going to Helen's place because they were like, oh, yeah, can you please like talk to my buddy from the war who like fucking melted from the mustard gas? And Helen was like, I got you. We'll like talk to, you know, his spirit. Right. Uh, So Helen would manifest her spirit guide who's named Peggy. And the dead would speak through Peggy. And Peggy was this sort of like poppet made out of paper mache and a mask, uh, but would be given life uh, when it got connected to the ectoplasm coming from Helen and could mm-hmm. speak. So it was like animating this poppet. Uh, Peggy would be connected. Usually the ectoplasm would come out of Helen and then wrap around Peggy's like neck, like a scarf. Okay. Um, and the, uh, uh, the images. Of, what are you just pause? Let's just take like, a minute to pause. I was just, nope, we're going. <laughs> like the ectoplasm would like move or float around. I have to say for the audience, I realize that when this happens, I giggle and it probably sounds like I think it's funny. I'm just so uncomfortable and I don't know what to do. So I start laughing <laughs> because I'm like, oh no, oh no, please don't let anything bad happen right now. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> The London Spiritualist Alliance uh, sent investigators to check out these manifestations and, like, see, like, Mm -hmm. uh, is this more hoaxy shit? Uh, They examined the ectoplasm and found that it was cheesecloth. 
mm-hmm. which is like cheesecloth is like a loose gauze like cloth that's like loosely very loosely woven mm-hmm. uh, and the cheesecloth was combined with toilet paper with a coating of egg white uh, to make it smooth enough to swallow and regurgitate without doing any damage mm. Uh, in 1931, a skeptic named Harry Price paid 50 euros to run a series of tests on her. First, he wanted a sample of the ectoplasm, and he was able to confirm what the Lon- London Spiritualist Society's tests confirmed, and that it was cheesecloth and egg white. Uh, that sample and the photographs of it are currently in the possession of Cambridge University. <laughs> like, they just have Helen Duncan's ectoplasm. <laughs> Uh, he was also able to confirm that the ectoplasm that was manifesting from her ears showed faces that were cut out of newspaper photos using the same trick Ava used. Uh, when he, when he took her to be x-rayed, he was like, we're going to x-ray you before a performance. She panicked and like acted violently and like burst out of his lab, knocking things over and caused a huge scene in the streets. Um, and I'm going to read his findings verbatim. And uh, it's pretty clear that Harry Price was pissed about the fraudulent nature of her performance. So he does not have kind things to say. Jesus, okay. So just a heads up, he insults her. um, Okay. In rude ways. (laughs) Okay. At the conclusion of the fourth seance, we led the medium to a settee and called for the apparatus. At the sight of it, the lady promptly went into a trance. She recovered but refused to be x-rayed. Her husband went up to her and told her that it was painless. She jumped up and gave him a smashing blow on the face, which sent him reeling. Then she went for Dr. William Brown, who was present. He dodged the blow, but Miss Duncan, without the slightest warning, dashed into the street, had an attack of hysteria, and began to tear her seance garments to pieces. She clutched the railings and screamed and screamed. Her husband tried to pacify her. It was useless. I leave the reader to visualize the scene. A seventeen-stone woman, clad in black, satin tights, locked to the railings, screaming at the top of her voice. A crowd collected, and the police arrived. The medical men with us explained that the position explained their position prevented them from fetching the ambulance we got her back into the laboratory and at once she demanded to be x-rayed in reply dr william brown turned to mr duncan and asked him to turn out his pockets he refused and would not allow us to search him There is no question that his wife had passed him the cheesecloth in the street. However, they gave us another seance, and the control said we would cut off a piece of teleplasm which appeared. The sight of half a dozen men, each with a pair of scissors, waiting for the word. It was amusing. (laughs) It came and we all jumped. One of the doctors got hold of the stuff and secured a piece. The medium screamed and the rest of the teleplasm went down her throat. This time it wasn't cheesecloth. It proved to be paper soaked in the white of egg and folded into a flattened tube. Anything, could anything be more infantile than a group of grown men wasting time, money and energy on the antics of a fat female crook? Yeah, that's what he said about it. So basically, 
their plan with the x-ray was to like cause a scene and then she would pass the cheesecloth to her husband in the street mm-hmm. during the scene. So they couldn't. And then, uh, you know, get the x-rays done after that. Uh, and then swallow the egg white paper. <laughs> and do that, that one's particularly bad for me, too. Yeah. Well, when that was published, <laughs> <laughs> the floodgate of backlash hit the Duncan household. A former maid confessed to helping prepare the cheesecloth for seances. In 1933, she was materializing Peggy uh, when a member of the audience jumped on stage, grabbed her, and another member forced their way backstage and turned on the lights. And it was revealed that Peggy was actually just an old repurposed vest. (laughs) Police arrived and fined her 10 euros and she was convicted of fraud. Mm. Not of witchcraft yet. Mm. It's not where her story ends, though. Like, she keeps going. Things simmered down for a bit, and after the fine and sensationalism began to die down, uh, you know, she was like, okay, we can go back just doing chill fucking seances, like, whatever. And then World War II. Yeah. (laughs) That little event, (laughs) that little whole party, uh, that took up most of the public's attention. So her sensationalism died down as everybody was focused on, you know, Nazis. Um, Yeah. But then Helen Duncan was like, I can capitalize on this just like I did with World War I. Uh, She was back in the papers again after she made a public claim that she materialized a dead sailor who informed her and the audience present that the HMS Barham of the Royal Navy sunk. This was a huge shock, especially for the Royal Navy, who knew that the boat had sunk uh, and had only informed the families of the people on board who died. This led members of the Navy to take interest, and they started attending her shows. Of course... There were 861 dead on board of this ship. That meant that maybe 200, there are 20,000 people in the UK knew that this boat had sunk, even though they were all instructed to keep it secret for like the sake of the morale for the war effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is possible Helen could have just like found out from someone. Mm. Uh, but also it was a shocking prediction because like, oh no, everybody knows this boat sunk now, right? That was supposed to be a secret. It's supposed yeah. to be a state secret. Uh, two Navy lieutenants attended a seance. One was certainly not impressed with the cloth figure materializing on stage, claiming to be his deceased aunt, especially since all of his aunts were still alive. Uh, <laughs> the other lieutenant was not just unimpressed. He was straight up offended that Helen Duncan had then materialized his dead sister, who was also very much alive. They reported her activities to the police. Yeah. The police then went undercover at one of her shows. Right when the spirit manifested, they arrested it. The spirit. Turned out, the manifestation was just Helen Duncan herself in a sheet. (laughs) No way. (laughs) She was like, I'm going to go into my chamber. Ectoplasm coming out. Was it like a flowered sheet? (laughs) You know, that's just making me think of Beetlejuice when they put on the sheets because they're like, how do we, they can't see us. How do we scare them? Ooh, in their sheets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They also found when they arrested her, a fake Navy hat mocked up to look like it was from the HMS Barham. 
of course, the hat did not have the proper identifying markers that would identify it as being part of the ship, uh, and instead looked like a hat that only like had been described to somebody what it should oh, look like. But it, but it wasn't. Yeah. This made it easy to conclude that it was a fake. Because Helen Duncan had been a repeat offender, and also because she realized she like realized informa- released information that was technically classified. She was impersonating a member of the military as well. Oh, uh, God. They, they weren't just going to settle for fraud yeah. conviction. They were like, no, the fraud conviction didn't stop you. So uh, what can we do? Prosecutors wanted her head to roll. So they dusted off the old books, the old laws. <laughs> and we're like, what can we do? The Witchcraft Act of 1735. <laughs> so overall in her trial... There were seven counts, two of conspiracy to contravene the Witchcraft Act. So, like, you're violating the Witchcraft Act on two counts. Two uh, counts of obtaining money by false pretenses. Three counts of common law offenses of public mischief, because causing, like, people to panic and freak out. Uh, The prosecution argued that she could continue to reveal classified information if she wasn't stopped with the hammer of justice, regardless of the source of where she gets this information. Also, that she was receiving money under false pretenses from people and exploiting the recently bereaved. Uh, Especially poignant with the relevancy of two fucking world wars happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, The trial was massively sensational. And massively controversial. Yeah. Duncan was barred from demonstrating her power as part of her defense. They're like, no. (laughs) No, we're not going to do that. Yeah, no, I would not allow that either. She also had several people uh, who were like respected community members bear testimony that they believed her power was real. Uh, The police didn't seize any ectoplasm as evidence. So all they had to go on was the publications of investigations into her ectoplasmic excretions. Um, So they they couldn't really use the ectoplasm as evidence because they couldn't really obtain it legally. But they had like the pictures and like the writings. And it does. Yeah. Uh, So like, yeah, in the in the end. uh, Oh, it also didn't help that she had previous like. Yeah. Conviction for fraud. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, the jury convicted her on only one count of defying the Witchcraft Act, and she was sentenced to nine months in prison. That's it? I mean, 1735, you'd probably die in yeah. nine months in prison, but in, you know, 1940-something. Oh, so was that, was that the, like, um, the sentence that was equated with it, or is that just the sentence they decided on? Um, I'm pretty sure that it's, like, the sentence that goes with it is, like, a certain time in prison, depending, but it, like, would go up if it was grievous, then they wouldn't burn you at the stake. But obviously, they didn't have that anymore. They wouldn't Mm -hmm. do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, Winston Churchill wrote a memo saying that the court wasted its money on absolute tomfoolery. (laughs) And after she was released, she vowed never to do any more seances. And then in 1956, she, she got caught one. doing yeah, another seance. Yeah, of course. She died shortly after being convicted, so she couldn't really be punished for it. Uh, however, her death and the sensationalism of her case led to the repeal of the Witchcraft Act. Her legacy to this day is one of habitual fraud, and she's often the textbook picture of a fake medium. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I'm way more offended about her than I am about 
Ava. Yeah, Ava was like just trying to secure the bag. Right? Yeah, like Ava was just doing what she was going to do as an entertainer. Helen, this woman like repeatedly and yeah, very offensively Helen, like, like tried to trick people. Couldn't fucking read the room. Right, right, right. right. That's uh, the thing. And and couldn't like fucking take a hint. You know, honestly, there's something to be said for like, and I have done this in the past where I'm just like, I can't read right now. And if you know that you have a room full of people who are just going to fucking catch you, you know what you could say? (sighs) The ghosts have called in sick. I mean, they don't do that. But the ghosts have called in sick. They're not coming tonight. Sorry. And then just fucking try again later, you know? Anyway, who wants to do a gyno on me? (laughs) (laughs) And you? (laughs) Some questions now. (laughs) I, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, ugh, ugh. The whole thing is a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. Yeah. And now, L, do you want to do a medium reading and see if any ectoplasm comes out? I mean, obviously, we've done medium readings on the show before, but you used, like, a channel. So you used psychometry, and you used fucking, like, the Ouija board and, like, uh, that shit. But you haven't done just, like, the pure uh, medium Mediumship, reading. yeah. And I will be watching for ectoplasm coming out of your mouth and, like, causing a ghost to form. Today is the day when I find out that I actually can uh, make ectoplasm, and I get really <laughs> surprised by it. Uh, I have I have spent um, the morning with L and can confirm the only thing in L's stomach is bacon and gruyere, egg bites, and a latte. Yeah, <laughs> three quarters of a caramel almond latte, almond, <laughs> a caramel frappuccino with almond milk. All right, let's figure out who we're doing this medium. <laughs> yeah. guess we're doing a medium reading yeah for me yeah uh so uh let's do one of my grandfather on my mom's side who i never met okay uh his name is larry olson goes by big larry because uh my uncle his son is also named larry little larry yeah um (laughs) Anyway, he died in a car crash while my mother was a child. Mm, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know uh, anything about him. Uh, I think, uh, well, yes, I do. He was a fucking cop. Uh, so uh, so that tells me a lot. Um, tells you as much as, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. So a few things. So one, when it's been a long time since spirits have passed, have crossed over, which it has been for him, they basically get further away. So like when I go, um, when I do the readings, I basically pull on the threads of the people that I want to talk to. And so he is quite far away. He is like very, very like way down there and pretty much ready to be reincarnated, if not like already on the way to being reincarnated. Like he's kind of already going through that process Um, with him. Like it's so weird because as much as he's like, well, no one really wants to die. He was kind of like, 
yeah, I guess that happened. I guess that was the thing in the time. He really had quite a lot of, um, I, I want to call it faith, but it's not, it's not faith. It's just like this, like knowing of what happens. Like, oh, has the reading started? Is that? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. Oh, were you not, were you unaware? Yeah. I thought you were oh. just like explaining how it works. No. Well, I was, <laughs> I was giving context to me saying that he felt far away. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Are you paying attention? Yes. Um, okay, so the reason I was giving context is because when I went to find him, he feels quite far away. It feels like it's kind of hard to pull him through. Um, people who've crossed over like very recently in the like last like two to five years are like right there. And then kind of the further or further longer ago they crossed, the further away they get, I guess is how I would explain that. Isn't is that intriguing to know? Is that stupid to know? Do people care about that? Probably people who believe so, in mediums care yeah, about that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> RJ's like, no, I don't care about that. But <laughs> yeah. maybe someone else Somebody does. might, yeah. Jesus. Um so it just is like interesting when I went to go find him that he's far away. And it's that he just feels so like he was fine when he died just in terms of like, okay, he went, I, w- I don't want to say like pretty quickly, like it didn't feel, it wasn't instant, was it? What are you looking at? I'm looking for ectoplasm. Oh, <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, uh, do you need me no, to No, like, it, it was instant. Was uh, it? The, the, yeah, it was okay. instant. Okay, you the got seat, to look in my ears. The seatbelt literally cut him in half. Jesus, wow. Okay, well, it was... Uh, a very long moment. Like, it was painful. It wasn't one of those, like, deaths where um, there's, like, how um, spirits describe, like, their crossing or their deaths. A lot of times there's, like, different feelings involved with it. And so when people don't really suffer and they just kind of fade away. So, like, sometimes I see that with, like, drug overdoses or people who die in their sleep. That they're just kind of like, I don't know. I just was here and then I was fine. And for him, it was, like, uh, very painful. It was, like, a very... It, it just lasted a really long time. Um, but when he died, he was like, oh, okay. Um, he just was kind of incompatible with being human for a lot of different reasons. A lot of things were really hard for him. I think as much as he was a cop, I don't think that he enjoyed a lot of the aspects of it. He didn't really enjoy a lot of aspects of kind of having his life and a lot of the things that he was doing controlled, but there didn't really feel like there was another way to do it. I would say that if you were still Mormon, the two of you would have so much in common, like in terms of like, I have to do this thing because this is what I am told is the right thing to do, but I don't want to. You know what I mean? Does it make sense in terms of if you were Mormon still? Were you oh, like if, that? If I was, yeah, I, I was, I was like that when I was Mormon, where yeah. I was like, I have to, you know, obey these teachings, uh, even though, you know, I feel like, you know, uh, I need to think critically about this. I'd just be like, no faith, fucking faith. faith but then you'd faith. be like, uh, yeah. And that's kind of no, how no, he was. Not a doubting Thomas. Yes. And that, like, that kind of, like, always trying to revert back. Like, you guys have a really interesting, like, very similar personality in a lot of ways. And, um... I, I genuinely feel like if he were born at a different time, his life would have been a lot different. But because of that control and because of feeling like he couldn't be who he really wanted to be, there was a lot of like trying to conform and shoving things down. And I think a lot of suffering because of that. Um, he just just generally like was not the happiest man. Not that he was like unhappy or that he was um, mean. I don't really get the impression of him being mean. It was just more like he was kind of funny and like kind of an okay guy. But there just was that... Like that, just that depression, that tone.
tone of sadness, that undercurrent of everything of just being like, it's just not all there. It's just not, there's no depth to the happiness, I guess is a way to describe it. Um, okay. So he, um, was, um, sorry, I'm trying to figure out how I want to say it. He was not overly attached to, like, karmically, uh, through, like, soul contracts and stuff. He was not overly attached to a lot of the people in his life when he was here. And so he's, like, moving on before a lot of people have the opportunity to incarnate with him because it's just his time to go on. And so he's got, like, other things to do in other places. And he's kind of, like, just going to keep moving on from this. Um, I would say what's really interesting is that he does have sadness and like kind of expresses the sadness of not seeing his children grow up. But there's almost this alienation from the amount of time it's been since he's passed between like his kids then and his kids now and like his grandchildren that he almost is like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know them. They they weren't part of my life. Like he feels so separate from it. Did um his wife remarry? No. Okay. Never. But she had like mental illness and like trouble coping. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Grandma Olsen, I, I think to this day, still has trouble coping where she was a bit of an absent mother. Uh, and also, like, she had to support the whole family uh, with, you know, nursing. Mm-hmm. There's just a sense from him of, like, feeling like everyone kind of moved on or that, like, it was just too much to really kind of deal with the grief and, and like, process and address it, that he feels like it it just almost doesn't matter in a way. Does that's a weird way for him to put it, but does that make sense? Um or a weird thing to express, I guess. Like I'm dead, but uh, y'all will be fine. Is that what you're trying to say? No, he feels like almost like no one really worked hard or is working hard to remember him or really honor him. So to him it feels like they don't really care if he's around. Like okay, I'm just going to go because nobody needs me here. It's weird. Um I will say that I don't think that's entirely true. I feel like my mom's side of the family romanticizes him a lot. Oh, okay. Uh, where it's like they have this sort of idea of him built up in their head. Especially because right? your mom was because young, they, young, right? Because they were all young. And my um, my older, my oldest aunt, I guess, kind of became the other head of the household. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was kind of her job to be like, you know, when they were like, well, tell me what dad was like, you know, then... Yeah. Uh, my aunt would be like, well, Big Larry was like this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, uh, you know, growing up or at like these like family parties, they'd be like, oh, Big Larry would, you know, that's a lot like what Big Larry would do. It's not like what he would say, yeah. you know? But I think it's also like this romanticized idea of him rather than the person he actually was. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, I think that there are really good parts of him. And like, I think I would like him, but he's not exactly like, the family guy like the best guy that's ever been around and like he had he had a lot of conflict and like a lot of suffering whether i mean and children can't remember that like wouldn't understand what that would look like and so i do feel like yeah that separation of like he doesn't feel like who he was was really remembered his yeah his wife just feels so separate from it and that's something that he kind of is like I don't know. He has a lot of really complicated feelings about the way that his family kind of coped with and handled his death. Like, that's a weird thing for him that he's kind of like, don't know what to do about this. Uh, I'm going to just kind of move on. I He's like a fairly new soul. Um, so he hasn't had that many incarnations. So a lot of these like really intense uh, life lessons and emotional lessons are something that he just kind of feels ill-equipped to handle that he needs to kind of work through, I guess I would say. That makes sense. 
I like him. I don't know. Here is my opinion on the kind of guy he was. So I grew up with this romanticized idea of him, right? From, you know, my family and like fairly absent uh, grandma Olsen. Um, But here's what I think. One, he was a fucking cop in the 1960s. Right. Uh, And he was part of the canine unit. So he had a dog and the death, the dog died with him. Like they died together in the car accident. Um, And uh, I think the death of the dog too, like really affected my uncle Larry, who is like just fucking mentally ill as hell. He's the, he's, he hears voices and angels and like uh, he has severe alcoholism and like, it's bad. Right. Yeah. And there is this like thread of mental illness that like goes through the family and like grandma Olson totally shut down. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally just shut down everything. Uh, of course she wasn't going to remarry. Right. Cause she was just so shut down. Well, I think if you to have this to like day, work. Yeah. And all you can do is take care of your kids and try to stay alive. You're not looking for that. Yeah. And well, I, like to this day, I don't think she's truly coped. I don't yeah. think anybody in my family truly coped. Right. Uh, with with this, they didn't know how to deal with this trauma and there was no instruction manual. So some of them filled it with, you know, religion. Some of them filled it with like right wing ideology because they romanticized this man who was a cop in the 1960s. Yeah. Um, I don't think he was that good of a guy. Honestly, yeah, I don't like think you I can don't... be a cop in the 1960s and be a good guy there. He probably did have a lot of cognitive distan- dissonance because I think you have to, you have to have cognitive dissonance to, uh, think that you're protecting and things, serving yeah. the community while at the same time hurting people to do that. Like hurting the community to protect it is a cognitive dissonance belief. Uh, so yeah, I think that as a father, he was probably very kind and very loving. Uh, but either he doubted what he was doing to the point where it was causing him to like throw himself deeper into his work, uh, or he was doubting what he was doing and he was going to like quit doing that. Either way, we would never know because it doesn't matter. He died in the car accident. Well, and and to, like, to this day, if you wonder why I um, sometimes am bad at wearing my seatbelt, if uh, I was ever in a car with a lap belt, my mom would not let me wear it uh, for the reason that mm. he got cut in half uh, by the lap belt. Um, and we don't buy Volkswagen <laughs> for that reason too. Um, but uh yeah, uh, when they had the seatbelt laws, oh, my mom was so mad, so <laughs> mad with click it or ticket. Oh, she hated it, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think he was as good of a dude as he's built out to be. But I also understand. I don't that think that my, anyone is. My family has to hold on to this sort of false hope uh, that he was this like he would have been the best father ever. And yeah, we have to because think you don't about know because what you have he, to decide it was. Yeah. Especially my aunt, who was the oldest, who had to basically take control over the household because grandma wasn't fucking doing it. Grandma yeah. was just like a ghost in, in a shell of a body. Uh, so uh, she, aunt, my aunt had to like, you know, be like, well... Uh, Big Larry would be really disappointed in you if you acted this way, you know? Uh, oh, it, so Big, he became the, like, the yeah, Jesus of the house. The Jesus of the house, Yeah, right? like the Jesus that's always watching. Yeah, uh, so yeah. I, I think that's more... <laughs> I don't think that's... We don't like that. He doesn't like that. That's, like, not... Like, how would... You... Yeah. Like, that's why he's, like, 
Like, let's go. I don't want to say anything mean just in case your mother will never listen to this. But just in case your mother listens to this, I don't want to say anything mean. But he's like pretty much like, yeah, you guys have whatever tulpa of me you want to have, don't you? Yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking about tulpas in part two. That's uh, what it is. That's what he is. Yeah, he's a tulpa. Uh, he is. Uh, that happens so much, too. So uh, generally, uh, I... Definitely my actual, like, family on, you know, my mom's side is going to have different and complex opinions about this. And I'm having, like, secondhand knowledge of secondhand knowledge of this cat. Um, But, yeah. Did you just say cat, like, as in person? Yeah. (laughs) What's wrong with that? (laughs) Um. Well, I just was like... I'm watching the 1997 Spawn animated series, and I think it's rubbing off on me. I just never heard you say that before. And then I was like, cat. And um, before we left to record, I was sitting on the stairs with Spectre. We were having a cuddle, and RJ was, like, threatening us, and it was scaring Spectre, and his eyes were getting really big, because RJ was, like, running down the stairs at us. And so then I was thinking about Spectre's eyes getting huge and looking at you. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Them's my opinions. Uh, if you could just do like a stand and a T pose and a 360, so I can just check for ectoplasm. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. Oh shit, that yeah. was the. There's a lamp. There's a you. lamp. Uh, no ectoplasm. I didn't notice any ectoplasm. But I, you also didn't manifest him. So what the hell? You didn't like materialize my dead grandfather. Well, so when we've been talking about doing this episode. For a minute, for like a while. And um, RJ was like, yeah, the ectoplasm is cheesecloth. And he was like, can you do ectoplasm? And I was like, well, how do they do ectoplasm? And he was like, well, they eat cheesecloth. And I have stomach issues. <laughs> I was like, no, I definitely can't. So I never promised to materialize anything. No, I would probably throw up. Uh, if yeah, I... you got very close in this episode. It was almost the third time on the show. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I would probably vomit if you actually did do the ectoplasm. I would be vomiting if I did the ectoplasm. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be how it oh, works, Oh, no, actually. no, I don't like it. I'm getting <laughs> uncomfortable thinking about what that would feel like. <laughs> don't worry, it'd be smoothed with potatoes no, it and wouldn't, egg whites. No, it wouldn't get down there in the first place. That would be the thing, is that they had to eat that first. Yeah. The commitment. The commitment is otherworldly, truly. Yeah, it's, I mean... Uh, it's rare on the show where we cover a Mansi that is just 100% not this real. is 100% fraudulent. I suppose uh, somebody who is, you know, a really big atheist uh, might be like, well, they're all fraudulent. But at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, we should post this on TikTok so we can get all these people <laughs> being like, uh, it's not real. And then all the other people being I like, know. buy the gold. What, what the fucking. The, the oh yeah the, the guy who said that the philosopher's stone yes. was like the snake oil special gold that you <laughs> yeah, would ingest bullshit. Like yeah. ingestible gold anyway um, 15 yeah. bucks that's all you need it's for the like, philosopher's stone we, we cover a lot of these like mansies that are like oh this is like a spiritual practice this gave people a lot of hope this provided people with like something important but like ectoplasm is just straight up like entertainment entertainment and fraud yeah it's it's more stage magic it's, yeah, it's absolutely um, you know. stage magic. And that's cool. Like, that has its place. I'm down for an erotic stage magic show. Like, I would go to that for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I don't know about the gynecological exam medium. I don't know about that one. But erotic stage magic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, burlesque stage magic. I They did that at um, Pro- Prohibition, I think. I do love burlesque, yeah. Um, but... 
Yeah, so this on this episode, uh, definitely ectoplasm, not a real thing, thoroughly debunked. It's only real cultural significance is theories about what psychic energy even is that were thoroughly debunked and also a way mediums could wow people on stage and take their money. Uh, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> but in the next episode, we will talk about a spiritual belief that has become a psychological phenomenon. Today, we're going to talk about tulpas. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> we'll be there. We'll do it. Yeah. So hit us up on Patreon and Elle will do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering. Patreon.com slash Mancy. Also, if you like the show, please share with your friends. The more support we have, the more episodes we can make. If you like my writing, you can pick up books at rjwalkerpoet.com. You can also follow me on TikTok at Mancy Podcast. Uh, I do a weird mix of just dumb bullshit that I do, poetry, and um, Mancy content, where I try to summarize some of the weirder facts we do in the episodes. Yeah. Um, if you want to get a reading from me, you can find me in my Etsy, which is Laurels of Lux at laurelsoflux.com. You can email me at laurelsoflux at gmail.com. Yeah. Hit me up. Let me know if I can help. Let me know uh, if you want to talk about ectoplasm. The music was provided by, in order of appearance, Hayden Fulker, Miyu, and Scott Buckley. <laughs>